look at you. You're helpless. You can't help yourself. Every week, crawling back to Carl Poulin. You thought you could go without it. You thought you could go on. You can't. You need it. You live for it. This show might be the only reason you exist. You know what? It might be the only good thing happening to you right now, this show. And uh, to that, I say... That's just sad. Yeah, you guys are so sad. But also, welcome and thank you for listening. And have you thought about buying any of our fitness products? Okay. Yeah. It's It's a big week. It's a sad week. It's a tough week. I don't think there's any doubt among the listener tude. Uh, a word I just invented about what we're <laughs> going to be discussing this week. Uh, but how about just a little bit of levity before we jump into it, Hunter? How have you been this week? Any any important news? Any updates? I'm really happy that you think updates for me constitute as levity. Um, you know, I've been going to work. <laughs> you have just put the me laugh wrong. track in right there. So so quickly. <laughs> we should have a laugh track. I don't know why we don't or a soundboard. Um, yeah. I'll tell you a fun thing from my life earlier today. Please, I was fill cleaning, me in. cleaning the dishes, and I, I used a bunch of Dawn uh, soap. If it's good enough for baby ducks, it's good enough for me. And no I was barefoot, and I was putting my newly sharpened chef's knife. I was trying to transfer it from the sink to the dishwasher with soapy hands. Yes. And I dropped it, and as it was plunging directly to my foot. Oh, no. <laughs> I backhanded it. Dude. Like a champion. Did you cut yourself on the blade? I sliced my pinky off. I mean, I'm telling you, Hunter, <laughs> I bled for 45 minutes. I've never bled this long in my entire life. It's just recently stopped. Oh, my goodness, dude. That is well, terrifying. I would probably die. So I felt, I mean, there was like cat-like reflexes, and I, I didn't like get drilled to the, the hardwood floors in my kitchen from sure. a knife going through my foot and have to engage in some kind of increasingly difficult and horrific saw series of <laughs> escapades. The key to, is in my eye. Why is it in my eye? <laughs> the key to a knife. Um, yeah. anyway, anyway, that was good. But what was bad is that I used an equally tender part of my body to try and deflect it. And I, I've been doing a lot of soul searching in the interim, Hunter. Sure. I'm an inactive man. <laughs> I use my pinky way more than I use my foot. <laughs> I should have. I should have done nothing. That's a really I good point. I should have done nothing. Which hand did you backhand it with? My right hand. Okay, so you can still hand. play league. You're fine because you don't need that one for the I'm mouse. I'm bleeding all over my mouse pad. That doesn't matter. You it's can a, buy a new one of those. It looks like it looks like a a. a Low rent butcher shop on my mouse pad right now, which I knew I should have gotten a black one to hide yeah. to hide the stains. Is it white? Uh, you know, no. I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to dox myself by saying what color my mouse pad is, Hunter. That's I'm right. not People a fool. Hunt you down. I mean, I I can't blame you. No doubt about it. Um, so roadkill. I hit my I hit something in my car this week, and it happened to be one of our favorite members from the squad. Uh, let me just serve this up to you. Come in courtesy from the Daily Mail. Okay, do it. Squad member and cancel rent advocate Ayanna Presley received up to $15,000 in rental income last year from a Massachusetts property financial disclosure reveal. Now, Christopher, I don't know if you know this. Ayanna Presley has a bill that would have canceled uh, uh, 
both rent and mortgage payments that went to the floor of Congress. Uh, she's one of these anti-rent uh, congresswomen. So uh, apparently she's one of these fat cats making all this money off these poor renters with no hope. So Iona Presley frustrates me singularly because she's the worst <laughs> member of the squad. She's she the is. Aquaman of the squad. And also, when she first got into to Congress, she had like a nice haircut, and she looked she looked put together, fetching, okay. uh, yeah. to a certain degree. And after she got into a cushy political job at the federal government, she had to get one of these like hyper oppressed butch haircuts where she's like shaved bald, and it's just like. I, I don't buy it so much. She's trying so hard. It's like if Aquaman showed up one day with like a Miata and a Mohawk and he was like, radical dudes, let's go. Like, come on, we're all super cool. And it's just, it. you're still Aquaman. You're still sitting around in the bathtub at the Hall of Justice waiting for something bad to happen to you so that you might die so that you don't have to keep being Aquaman. <laughs> Nah, nah, dude. I, I'm surfer man. Uh, rebrand. <laughs> don't don't you see the S on the chest? It's, it's not. It's not. It doesn't look like Superman's. I don't know why people keep saying that. It's ridiculous. It's the most puka shells I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, she's just like she's such a poser. She's she's a poser in government. She's a poser as a person. She's a poser with her haircut. She's a poser at the squad. And yet. Whenever she makes headlines, it's like, well, that was truly horrendous. So we still have yes. to pay attention to her, which is just <laughs> a thorn in my side. $15,000 in rent, you say? Yeah, I mean, it's not much. Um, apparently, they own like a very, very large piece of property. I think it was half a, half a million to a million dollars. And they've converted it into uh, like a multifamily unit and so they're getting rent from that and some of it's going to her husband so some of it must be going to her accounts i don't know how it all works i'm not a financialologist but you get the idea <laughs> i'm not some kind of money sorcerer <laughs> that's so insane yeah i believe it yeah do as i say not as i do you know these <laughs> When the communists start selling novelty hammer and sickles, you know that they don't mean what they say. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. These, these communists are so capitalist, Hunter. They're merchandising. I just, I hate them so much. I, I take it so offensively because she's such a stalwart feminist, Christopher. And yet... You can tell from the general butchiness while still claiming she's straight. That's, how, that's one of the best ways to tell, I hear. But her husband seems to be in charge of all the money. She doesn't even know what she owns. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Get it. <laughs> Get it. So, anyway, there's that. Maybe her husband's the real capitalist. And she's yeah. only... Uh, hold on, I've got an out for her. I'm the best leftist in the entire world. You ready to do some gymnastics? Stretch. Let's do it. I'm ready. The only reason she's even in a relationship with him is because of her precognitive notions and a priori biases implanted in her from the hegemonic yes. male patriarchy, male cis yes. white patriarchy. Wow. Uh, if she could simply free herself from the dictates of society, she be, could, could become her true pagan animal form and oh, roam wow. the wilderness naked, taking only what is needed and giving back only what is in her ability. Yeah, my pagan animal form is whatever Timon is. Um, a mere cat? cat? Yeah, just a mere cat. A mere cat. <laughs> Probably a tabby. 
<laughs> All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us again. I know it's harsh on you up at the front. Welcome to Carpooling, the greatest show, period. And we're happy to have you. Uh, if you're if you're on a crowded bus, if you're on public transit, maybe you're on a, a tube or a metro a metropolitan transport system. Then I, I want you to take your headphone out for one second and stand up and say, "Hi, my name is insert your name here." Don't say insert your name here. That's stage direction. Correct. And I love the podcast carpooling available on Apple Podcasts. Uh, do that for me, and if if you do it seven times in seven days, then you won't have bad luck for seven years. I miss chain emails, but thanks for joining us. We're a podcast that'll get you fired, uh, so do that on the train, not once you get to work, and we talk about everything that you're not allowed to talk about, religion, politics, psychology, Ayanna philosophy, Presley. literature, Ayanna Presley. Uh, it, it's a shame that Elvis has to nearly share surnames with her. It's a you shame. Put it like that. After all that Elvis did for the black community, to have to share surnames <laughs> with a real charlatan like Ayanna Presley. That's so. That's, <laughs> well, all right. All right. <laughs> Walking in Memphis. Um, anyhow, let's get into it. So, so obviously, today, Hunter, thank you for that roadkill, by the way. What a, what You're a, welcome. A rare uh, itch that you've given us all. <laughs> Just a nasty rash. You're well, don't worry. We'll remind them at the end of the show to uh, to go to a physician and, and determine the cause sure. of, their, of their ailment. So, obviously, oh, no. today we're talking about uh, <laughs> Afghanistan. Oh, boy, there's a lot to unpack here. And the first thing I want to say about the situation as a whole is that details are still coming out. You know, it seem, there's some things we know for sure. There's some things that we've been told. There's some things that we're assuming and more information can come out from a variety of angles. For instance, we could learn more about the facts on the ground. We could learn more about the intelligence that was received by uh, American officials beforehand. We could learn more about the state of the insurgency and the Taliban and what their actual composition was before the precipitous uh, undeployment of so many of our, our ground forces. Regardless, there is lots, lots, lots to learn and so there's a lot to talk about and also our opinions are nascent so i just want to say that up front to to level set with you this is an evolving situation and this isn't going to be a dispositive rundown of all of the right and wrong of the situation there's plenty of room to learn to learn more and and, and honestly it's such a big issue you can't really get your arms around it in a week and then regurgitate it in an hour. So uh, that's not that's not a promise that we're going to punt. It's a promise that we're going to be open-minded. So, Hunter, anything to add to that? Um, the only thing I think there, to say there is just the fact that there's so many takes right now and there's so many yeah. thoughts and feelings. And, you know, Christopher, I don't, I don't think we have anything more to say on this, but I have this... I, like today, I just this just shows you how close we are to this. Is I had this conspiracy theory popped in my head and was like, what if the U.S. government just knew that Taliban was going to overrun them and knew that the only way to like stop it would be a huge PR debacle? And it was just like, that's weird. That and I just kind of, but I mean, my frog's gay. 
Right. And I mean, like, I think that's the, I think that just shows you the point that we're at in the conversation right now. Uh, Um, You know what I mean? To say, I think what you're saying is that distrust of the politicians, the media, the military generals, et cetera, is at an all time high and each other. It's at an all time high. Um, and I think yes. that's why you're seeing such fracturous takes appear around this. There's some people who want to make it political. There's some people who want to make it about policy. There's some people who want to make it a religious or a moral issue. And it, it's in part all and not completely satisfied by any one of those things. Yes. And I think there's also just this natural tendency to when we see an event, you know, to like generate uh, brainstorm a thousand different hypotheses about what it, what's happening in front of us. And I think like right now we're still kind of going through that. Like you'll remember, you know, nine 11 is relevant today as we have this conversation, but you know, we all heard that jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams, you know, and everything like, because it doesn't Hunter. (laughs) Right. Right. Of course it doesn't. And you know, like things, things like that, you know, and that was just people's hot takes in the moment. And then when cooler heads prevail, you know, 10 years later, people are like, uh, once that not sensational message gets out, people are able to dissect through that. So I think what I said is sensational, but I think we're in the sensational part of this crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think, I hope people hear that in that context and in that grace and that we can still do a good job of making sense what's going on without having to have the definitive answer because i mean who could at this point yep and and with so many different angles and so many different takes uh we're just gonna kind of start chatting about it and and we'll work our way through what we think is relevant what we think is important so far so to set the stage with a little history we have been in afghanistan uh, as well as iraq uh and for a while pakistan since 2001 because after the taliban it looked like with that with the help of afghani uh afghani government with their support and their their protection executed attacks on the twin towers and brought them down we were out for vengeance in a lot of ways uh there's a lot of different ways you can dissect what happened there. But the the basic point was that retribution was in order and we had to ensure that nothing like this was going to happen again and wouldn't be able to continue happening, right? And so I'm not saying just a, a, a pure malice-driven form of retribution, a useful tactical form of retribution. Then there was a bunch of nonsense about... Uh, were there weapons of mass destruction? Were there not weapons of mass destruction? Where's Osama hiding? And now Osama's dead. This went a, a million different ways after that. And we can agree or disagree on the way that we went or the reasons we went. And that's not really functionally important anymore. I will say this. America has a bad habit recently of engaging in proxy wars where we go to a location and our enemy is not a government or a nation state or a a bit of land or a stronghold. It is a diffuse, fractious group of people, an organization. And it makes the rules of engagement hard. It makes it hard to know when you're finished. It, makes things very difficult and i'm thinking of course about uh, vietnam and korea 
and now the you know Afghanistan Iraqi conflict all of this looks very similar in that we go over there we don't have all of our our modus operandi at hand our rules of engagement are shaky and our our exit strategy is ill defined that complicates issues like this but i will say that by and large that issue had been settled and and i guess we can just start there hunter that issue had been settled i want i want people to know that before the news cycle span up and the the chaos started enveloping afghanistan america only had 3500 boots on the ground in afghanistan which is a proverbial drop in the bucket compared to any kind of uh, force that is undergoing actions and operations. This is a defensive, sure, yeah. a, a defensive protectionary force, right? Right. It's almost, it's almost in a way there to be like, look, we're here, we're monitoring the situation, and it, yes, you could probably destroy these 3,500 troops, but if you do, do you really want to suffer the consequences? That's what that number is. Right. right. Well, and it's also helping. It, it, it was maintaining things like our embassy and sure. our, our strategic airfields and our forward bases and different, different things in the region that allowed us to respond quickly if the situation were to get out of hand. So it was exactly a right. skeleton force that acted as a deterrent uh, as well as... Uh, a strategic launch pad. I'll put it. That I love way. that you. I love that you said deterrent, Christopher. And I think this is a point we're going to return to. Um, nuclear weapons, in a strange way, have been one of the greatest instruments of peace we've ever known. And get it, I, boy, get it. You and know I what? think that. I love this. Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting comment to make because most people would say, "Well, don't you know we need to get rid of all the nukes?" And I'm like, "Well, if you do, will people start killing each other again in massive wars like World War One and World War Two? You know, and it's in a strange way they've kept us safe and i'm not saying i'm happy to live in a world where there's nuclear weapons and we can destroy the planet but i am happy to live in a world where there's nuclear planets that have stopped wars to this point yeah exactly exactly and i think in a lot of ways we live in this strange place where the capability of the american military is such that it is a nuclear weapon to any other military in a third world country Right. It's it's devastating capability. It's ability to hit people from so far away. I mean, there's really nothing they can do in a full conflict with the United States of America. This thirty five hundred people, in a sense, provides all that pressure without having to have uh, without without engaging in nuclear warfare or anything like that. And as we can see, as we move through today's discussion, um, there may be some benefit to having forces like this in the world for America. And I think many of us before this, before this event took place uh, would have said otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyway. absolutely. I, I think that's a great point, Hunter. The, the mutually assured destruction is always a, a, it aligns the goals of self-preservation with the goals of peace. And sure. it, it's like capitalism in that way. Like yeah, you can hate a you can hate the excesses, and is it necessarily a good thing that we're pointing weapons at each other currently that would destroy the, our planet as we know it, and perhaps as anyone ever would know it? Not necessarily, but but there's a serious question to what's the alternative. I mean, surely the alternative isn't 
that one person has that kind of unilateral power. And I'm going to say something that probably will sound strange, but I think a world where America is the only country that has nukes is a more dangerous world than a world where America and Russia has nukes. I know that that sounds strange when I say it, but, but like you were pointing out, mutually assured destruction has been a very, very useful deterrent. And even during the Cold War, when we were minutes, maybe seconds away from, from making an irreparable mistake, the idea that our our politicians and generals are going to continue in perpetuity to be the moral paragons who refuse to use power afforded to them unilaterally just seems to me unlikely. It seems to me far less likely than than being deterred from consequences that affect us here at home. So uh, yeah, I, and I let's, think that's a good point. Let's deal with the, the obvious uh, thing. Well, the Afghanis don't, or the Taliban don't have a nuke, so how is it fair? You've got the one-sided giant pointing the bazooka at the small little guy, right? First of all, how do you know? How do you know, you first, of all, first of all? Were you there? <laughs> but but I, think the, I think the answer is the world powers are keeping each other in check, and in a sense, that community of world powers, especially America, who is like, I mean, like, here's here's a crazy thing to say. Russia has annexed territory without being in wars with people. Right. And America has been in wars with people who have attacked her sovereign territory and not annexed land. Different moral powers, right? Yeah, Different moral absolutely, compasses. Absolutely. And, and so is it's, you know... Yes, America is not going to tyrannize the world because if it did, it would have to fight, get into a nuclear war. So that's great. But on the ground there, it allows a, benef- a force that's defending itself and defending a hurting people the ability to do that without, um, without overstepping its bounds, so to speak. Like we know if we took territory in Afghanistan, what would happen? Well, Russia or India would get scared. Guess what they have? Nukes. Right. You see what I mean? And it's the, it's the global geopolitical balance there that is so critical. Um, and, and that's exactly that what a- our forces, we're waxing a little philosophical, which is good. We are. But that's exactly what our ground force in Afghanistan was doing at the time, right? Yes. There's 3,500 people, but more importantly, there was a crap ton of armor and planes that if anybody wanted to get frisky, we'd be on your doorstep and uh, faster than a Domino's pizza. So <laughs> that, that was the reason that force was here. And to that point, I want to add one other. We still have skeleton forces in Germany. We still have yes. skeleton forces in Japan. We have bases in japan and and by the way over the long term those have led to incredibly fruitful relationships uh where we're training together and joint operations we've got bases together um we we get to share a little bit of each other's culture you know there's there's a, a a bevy of marines that learn uh jungle survival over in in the islands of japan and and we also we also partner and train with them it's it's a really good thing in the long run. And that was all the way back in World War II, not in 2001, right? So we've had people there continuously in, since 1945. And here there was this big pull to move people out. And we've only been there since 2001. I think people think that we're fighting a massive land war in Afghanistan. That just isn't factually true. We had mm-hmm. a skeleton force and some bases and a bunch of planes in Afghanistan, which is not out of the question for things that we've done after occupying other other territories not at all out of the question and 
on a long enough time frame has proved fruitful, mutually beneficial, has turned enemies into allies. Yes. Um, so I, I think I think that's good. I think we I think this I think this conversation is important for people to hear, uh, to know kind of what was going on on the ground, if that sort of makes sense. Um, I, I think, um, you know, therefore I, you I, are. I, I think I think this is kind of where we wanted to end up. And so maybe it's a good opportunity for us to deal with the tragedy that's going on um, and talk about some of the other hot takes that are going on. Um, yeah, let's, as we move through that, let's just say what everybody knows is that there was a decision made to pull out of Afghanistan by this administration. Sure. And they chose to do so. I have a lot of thoughts about that and the way that they chose to do it. Maybe we'll get into that in the take section. Um, yeah. We started pulling back across territory and shipping people out of Afghanistan and the Taliban literally sprinted without slowing down, taking over every major city in the country. And at this point, uh, taking over Kabul, the capital, Mm -hmm. as we moved 3,500 troops out, we had to move 5,000 troops back in to help evacuate our people, our, our visitors, our forces, our, uh, politicians and, and ambassadors there to pull them all out and we are now at this point effectively where there are no Amer- there's no American presence in Afghanistan at the moment N- not one worth speaking about so except for the except for the one that Joe Biden has said the American citizens there that Joe Biden says he can't guarantee their safety to the airport yeah yeah exactly except for those except for those good lord it's 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 it so it is I think it's no short of just one of the most, it's one of the biggest foreign policy debacles of, um, of America's history. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it absolutely is. Um, and I, you know, Christopher, not to take this in another weird direction, but, um, yes, Trump had some foreign history problems, but were any of them at this scale? No, at this scale, no. I think I think effectively, what happened uh, in Syria with the Kurds is at the same morally bankrupt level, but not nearly at sure. the scale. You know That's what I'm a good saying? Point. Yes. No, I agree. Yeah, I hear you. The same kind of like will leave you high and dry, so to speak. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. That makes sense. I also, you know, Hong Kong was on Trump's watch. You know, yeah, which absolutely. no, we didn't. We didn't have people over there and things like that, but it's important to keep in mind. Um, but, uh, you know, and it, I think that does change the moral calculus on this to some extent. Um, you know, we're not tasked to be everywhere, right. um, you know, but where we are, we can make a difference. Um, well, you know, and where we're a part of the general goings on, where we're a part of the status quo, right. there's a cost to leaving, too. Like, uh, I don't feel... Let me be careful about how I say this. Yeah, this is a time to be careful. I think it's a blight on the conscience of America that we sat hopelessly and and silently by while Hong Kong was subjugated by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Agreed. Let Let me temper that with this. China is a sovereign country. And they can do what they will it is not necessarily incumbent upon america 
to keep them from exercising their sovereign control. It's actually out of bounds to disrupt that process in a in a geopolitical mindset only. Does that make sense? It does. Now what we ha- what happened in Afghanistan as their government had already capitulated to the Taliban and is now capitulated to them again uh in th- in the past 48 hours uh we uh, we deter- we made the determination you no longer deserve sovereignty. Here we come. Right? And that changes the math. That hadn't happened in Hong Kong. That hadn't happened in China. And so it, I think you put it you put it accurately. It does change the calculus. And and I'm not excusing the CCP or America's response to it far from it. But I am saying that there is a geopolitical and moral difference between the two situations. Now, when you're yeah. talking about the Kurds and the Afghanis, that those to me are, are extremely similar based on the fact that we were already there impinging sovereignty left and right. It's, it's, it's kind of like if your child uh, walks over to the neighbor's kids and hits them in the face, you have a moral obligation to go over there and fix it. Right. Right. Um, and, you and if there's somebody uh you know two or three streets away and you're screaming because they're fighting you kind of still have a moral obligation to go over there and fix it it's just definitely not the same way that it was if it's your kid yeah you know what i mean yeah well so that one of those things if you don't take take action you're completely morally bereft and another one of those things has the has the potential to haunt you because you had the power to do something and you didn't Yes, I think that's well said, um, and and uh, you know, and I don't I don't necessarily want to get lost there, and I'm I'm glad to talk about it, and there's a lot of stuff going on, but um, you know, this is th- strangely enough, this is one thing where Trump actually did get it right, where he said, you know, like I've seen my my instinct was to leave, and now I've seen the data, and we need to stay, you know, and mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. no doubt that that was the right call as of now. So right? so let's make this clear too. Yeah, Obama promised to leave, he yep. stayed. Yep. Trump promised to leave Afghanistan. He stayed. Bush is the only one who kept his word. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, but that was mostly mostly Cheney. Sure, Um, sure, sure. I'm being a little humorous. I'm just kidding, too. Cheney Cheney just wanted the Halliburton money. Oil and Discovery, boys. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I hate Dick Cheney. All right. What? That doesn't sound like you. Uh, Anyway, let's... so, So... that's that's important for folks to know. These candidates, before they are the president of the United States for the past 20 years, all said, yeah, we're going to get the troops home. We're going to bring all the troops home. Red meat. You know what I'm saying? Sure, but yeah. when they get into office and they see the briefings, they see the intelligence, they see the reports from generals and from boots on the ground, they all, Obama included and, and Trump included, decided to break their campaign promise and stay. It seems yeah. now obvious why. So yes. maybe this is the first angle we tear into. What is the political angle of this evacuation? Uh, and what are the political takes? Yeah, and I think that's so I think that's a really good point because I think the political angle to back out is that's what people have wanted for forever. Right. And that that has been the number one emotion that people have wanted is why are we still in Afghanistan? Are, are we for real? And I and I, 
you know, hands up. That was me. You know, that mm-hmm. was me uh, until this nonsense happened. Um, I think this has been eye-opening to a lot of people, and I think we'll continue to talk about that. Um, but, you know, uh, Christopher, I kind of, uh, I'm a, I, I really enjoy Substack, like, a ridiculous amount, especially when you have people like Matt uh, Taidi and Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss, and Matthew Iglesias, to name a few. It's amazing just, to me that you don't have a drug problem. I know, right? Um <laughs> It's so, it's, yeah. And they, just writing good stuff. Barry Weiss's uh, Substack, she had Justin Amash write for it this week. And oh, cool. Talk, yeah, and he he's a Libertarian Party. And his kind of point was that this was the right call was to leave. And it's like, listen here, Libertarian. I get that we're never, ever supposed to do anything, but really. And then I think you also see uh, Matthew Glazius, who... Sometimes makes a great call, in my opinion, and sometimes is so out in left field that I can't even understand him. Basically said that Biden had done the right thing on Afghanistan, Um, that to leave, that it was, this is his argument. I think this is what a lot of people think is that it was never going to get better. It was never going to be anything other than what we saw today. And we had to leave at some point. So why didn't we? And I think and Christopher, I think that's just wrong based on the evidence and the human rights crisis that we're seeing playing. I think that's wrong based on the human rights crisis we're seeing play out in front of us in real time. So, like, I don't think I don't think there's anything more to say to it than that. I'll just say this: these these are people who are conflating why we are there in the first place with the reality that we are there now. Like, I get those arguments, and I right. look. I have similar frustrations. I'm, I started out the show by saying I'm frustrated that we're over there without a clear exit strategy. I'm frustrated that we're over there and not carpet bombing, turning things into a sea of glass, ruining these people who would have the audacity to to hijack American airliners and fly them into American businessmen and women, and and leave like i i'm frustrated that that wasn't our plan i i'm frustrated that they can still plant things there okay mm. and i i understand if people you know you you bleeding hearts disagree with me but christopher if you go back to 2001 everybody in america has that same reaction though. yeah i i just kept it um Sure. So, well, do you remember when they killed uh Osama bin Laden and were literally in the street like 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 celebrating in New York? I mean like yeah. This is this. I mean, these are people that really spat in our eye and really hurt uh, a lot of families and stuff. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I just no. wanted to say that's a little bit more universal. Maybe you're giving it credit for. Uh, we're all looking back in, with rose tinted glasses, and, and uh, so I'll just say that I think that. And look, I'm hardcore. I, I have a lot of a lot of love and compassion for the innocent people in Afghanistan. But here's the facts: the Taliban is a horrible institution, no doubt about it. The Afghani government harbored them, and the Afghani, Afghani people are, are culpable for the excesses of their government. That's the law of the jungle. You understand what I'm saying? Now, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that America has the technology and the power and the precision to not hit soft targets, and I'm good with that. I don't want a a single innocent unnecessarily to die, but I also don't... I I, I don't not shoot the person holding the the launch codes because they have a hostage. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? There is a... a trolley car problem there and the there is. answer is not always one way or the other 
So I, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that I could correctly divine that. I'm just saying that I am definitely not a hardliner when it comes to, well, your government was harboring terrorists, but they're all hiding in mosques, so don't bomb the mosque. I'm not a hardliner like that. So anyhow, I think that's that's my take, is that, that these people share a similar frustration or even didn't begin with a frustration like that but have morphed into a frustration like that over time because it's politically advantageous or tribally advantageous. And I agree with their reasoning that, like, look, we shouldn't be over there. We don't have any clear plan, et cetera, ad nauseum. So it might, we might as well have done it now because it's not getting any better. Stupid. Stupid framing. Here's the correct framing. We're over there now. Here's what advantages and disadvantages that gives us. What do we do about that? Because that's the reality on the ground. You can't go yeah. back 21 years ago. 21 years ago. Hold on a minute. My brain 20. just exploded 20 years ago and, yeah. and play this calculus and, and determine what our action plan is now because we might have not had a sophisticated one then. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and I find that to be a little bit – I find that to be strangely uncompassionate, you know, those takes. Because you, yeah. see, you see what's happening. You're like, you know what? The military presence there was achieving something good. How do I know? Because what's happening before me is is unconscionable, mm-hmm. right? And like, is you know, if you could have told, I don't know how much money we're spending. I don't, you know, we're not spending that many less lives. than one percent of the federal annual budget went to Afghanistan. So then it seems worth it, yeah. right? It seems it seems, and it also seems worth it because you know how many lives are we buying with that too you know you know how many by keeping al qaeda and the taliban on their back foot you know how many more planes are we keeping you know from attacking american soft targets and yes i understand that that's not something we can answer but if we can keep the afghani people from suffering and we can ensure that that seems like a good investment to me well and it, it also plays lie to to the beliefs of these people like amash and iglesia who have their moments of being bleeding heart humanitarians right because we're all in support of the fact that you know voter id is restrictive and and racist and we'll all want we all want covid money payouts we all want benefits but Mm -hmm. we're somehow even though oh and we we're we're totally against islamophobia and all of that kind of stuff which is why we're allowing uh muslim boys and girls and women to be run roughshod over in the streets as the Taliban makes their blitzkrieg across the country, mm-hmm. beating women in the public square, raping them, uh, borrowing their genitalia without a clear plan to return them, and shooting them in the head if they choose to read a book again. Like right. I, I, And it was 1% of the federal budget. And I'll tell you this too. We have not had an American casualty in Afghanistan for over a year and a half, 18 months. So it's not that we're spending amazing amounts of blood and treasure to prevent calamities around the world. We're, it's a footnote on our bill and not a single life for 18 months. And now you humanitarians are going to support this bullshit even though, even though it was, it, it's not even comparable to the bleeding heart causes that you pretend to care about over here it's not rent control you know what i'm saying i absolutely do yeah and i think i think this has been um a a failure in some way that the the communication around this just hasn't been effective you know the 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 
explaining to the American people what we were buying uh, with this troop presence and this this dollars over there wasn't very clearly explained to me at least and i think that has mostly to do with the strategy like mm. if this if you know the strategy was go over there crush the taliban we're done like that was strategy number one then it became well we got to go see what's going on in iraq real quick and you set know up and, a democracy and do this and do that and it got weird it got murky it got strange and nobody could and everybody lost the plot and everybody was like what's going on and christopher this is actually a really interesting point and I don't, this is, this is a uniquely American problem. Um, you know, I love Alex of Tocqueville. Uh, he says the Americans in his book were building ships that could only last like 10, five years because they would always, the American, because they would always want to sell you the next one. And so what you can see is that foundation problem of planned obsolescence that we see in our iPhone was there in America in 1837, which is just shocking. If you can think about it, like it's nothing mm-hmm. new under the sun, right? What I'm trying to get at is the nature of the presidential term keeps us from making these long-term strategies in Hmm. some sense. And I'm not saying that that necessarily – I'm not saying it's good, bad, indifferent, or whatever. But what I am trying to think is like is it incumbent upon the president more now, especially in light of this, to say, look, we might be here for 100 years. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but let me explain to you the benefits that the American people get from all that and the Afghani people get from that. So that then when the next person comes in, they can't go, look at this bureaucratic bullcrap. And I hear their argument. I don't want to be engaged in a forever war, uh, you know, with uh, Europa, you know, and shooting and building rockets just to shoot at nothing. Like, I understand that too, but at the same time, I'm torn on these ideas and I don't necessarily know how to make sense of them. Well, um, you're making a complex um, argument and it's difficult to to elucidate entirely, but it's I'm going to put it something like this. Okay. We make decisions on a four-year cadence. Yes. And... There's a lot of good to that because having a having a leader in power for the same duration as a decision matters is non-tenable. So I'm not yes. I'm not throwing the the American system under the bus with that at all. Yes. However, we have done such a poor job at educating and relying on the education of the constituency to empower people to make strategic long-term plays that we now engage in what can only be considered open foolishness because it scores points at home on a cycle that does not match the cycle of the care that is required to handle certain complex situations. I'm really happy you were here to restate it that way because I hope that because because you're right I, I think it's a saying a lot at once I think you putting it in that second is going to help more people connect with it I, that was um, as much for my benefit as anyone else's <laughs> sorry um, but it's kind of been the, just playing in the back of my mind for since I read that quote you know and and so it, now that maybe that's where we leave that unless you have more to say to it because well, I don't I don't I know have, what else I, I have a couple things I have a couple bullets to please shoot please go before yeah, we move yeah. on on the political yeah. uh, uh, on that take specifically that biden did the right thing uh, let me just give you some yeah, more please. facts any old bastard 
that wants to pull out of Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary of the September 11th <laughs> attack does not have his America's best interest in mind. Like, what are so the good. optics of that situation? They're mm. horrible. Do you know what it is? It's, it's apologizing. It's apologizing for the lives that were taken in retribution and, and the occupation that happened in retribution for what happened on September 11th. I do not give two dimes, heavily censoring myself. If I sound choppy, that's why. I do not care at all what people think about America's military attacking people who have the audacity to bring bloodshed to our soil. Go screw yourself. You want to bite the heels of lions? Prepare for them to turn. I, I, I am not sorry at all that we went to Afghanistan, Iraq, etc. for that purpose alone. And to pull out on the anniversary, not of our invasion, but of their attack, I've got right. serious questions for anybody who would do that. I have serious questions about your motives. And so mm. you can say that Biden did the right thing by pulling out now, but for what reason? For one, you're wrong, in my opinion, on the face. But for what reason did he pull out? And Hunter, I think you're elucidating it perfectly. He yeah, thinks yeah. that this will be a political win at home. He thinks that this is a promise kept. He thinks that the rabid Twitterazzi who calls for an end to Middle East occupation will give him pats on his radical retarded head because he chose to do this and screw you and screw you. Yeah. And, and to put, to stick your finger in the eye of the families of the nearly 3000 people who died on September 11th and do it on the anniversary of that day, that nothing makes my blood boil like that exactly maybe it boils hotter in other situations but that particular method and and feeling is unique to that to this event i i think that that is born out of an insane hatred and animosity for the country that has gifted us so much and that level of ingratitude really really could piss me off if I spend enough time thinking about it. So for to say that Biden did the right thing, you're wrong. We can disagree about that. But what I won't disagree on is the fact that he did it for purposes that were counterthetical to the ethos of this nation and the lives that were sacrificed on the altar of this conflict. And, and no American that has any patriotism left in their body should stand for that horse shit. Um, I was going to save this for the end of the podcast but i got more <laughs> yeah well i i think after that rant it's important to uh invoke your spirit animal nikki haley uh this is it, a girl. quote from nikki haley uh writing on barry weiss's substack no less um i will never forget the day my husband michael deployed to afghanistan as a major in the south carolina army national guard january 10 2013 it was tough for our family to watch him go but we knew that he, like so many Americans, was doing his duty and protecting our country. Now I'll never forget August 15th, 2021, the day Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Says it all. Says it exactly how people feel about this. Is, you know, people watched their family burn up in towers. They watched people put on their fireman gear, run in there, lose their lives. They sent their children, they sent their sons, they sent their daughters, they sent their um, husbands all over there to defend America from that. 
and the achievement achieved the crowning end to all of that on the anniversary no doubt of that day is uh watching the afghani people suffer is watching american abandon another ally is watching all of that seem to be for naught and watching and the bastards who did it take selfies with their ak-47s and whatnot from the heights of power in the city of kabul yes Yes, yes. Shooting people, climbing over walls, trying to escape. I mean, um, and then uh, for for you as president to stand up in front of it and go, listen, 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 listen. It wasn't me, guys. You know me. I'm old Joe. Malarkey. It was the Afghanis. They didn't have the will. We had all these contingency plans and beautiful graphs, and nobody ever told me this wasn't going to happen. Just lying straight face to everybody. You know, it... It speaks volumes. It yeah. tells us exactly what's going on. And in fact, this is kind of strange. It makes Trump and Obama's hesitancy around this topic make perfect sense. Like, it, it just becomes immediately clear what was happening. Yep. They had a political campaign. That promise was to do X. They knew the tenor of the American people. And they had seen the data. They'd seen what was going on. And unlike Biden, weren't able to make the smart, rational decision. Um and, you know, any of us be, with this information and being able to look past the door would have, I hope, seen the error in it. I, um, I, I want to add to that, Hunter, by saying that from what we know now, and of course, we do not know everything, much like Obama sure. and, and Trump didn't know everything when they took office, right? And they made promises sure. that they then decided not to keep. From the reports that we have now, the holistic bevy of Biden's intelligence officers, generals, and boots on the ground all urged him not to do this. Yes. So yeah. so yeah. you cannot make the point that he relied on his generals. Remember when we prayed Trump for letting Mad Dog Maddox just do what he needed to do? And we yes, dropped some Moabs that, and made some seas of glass? That is yes. the opposite of what happened here. It's the yes, opposite exactly. of what happened here. Because regardless of the optics trump said go ahead i'm giving you the reins don't care about my re-election i want you to care about the mission right and what happened here is everybody came to biden that we know of and said do not do this this is going to be terrible for us and the afghani people etc ad nauseum and he said i'm doing it anyway for the optics i've got i've got major issues with that major issues with that and i'll just tell you this too the report that Biden said he was reading said it would take the Taliban roughly nine weeks to recapture Afghanistan after we left. It took them nine days. Nine days. He said that they might be able to launch attacks on U.S. soil again in two years, potentially, after that time. How has that timeline shifted? That is a yeah. relevant question. Because if we, were, if we were seven times off there then mark your calendars for the end of 2022, Christmas 2022. So I, I'm just saying that the the one report he claims to be discussing, which is counterthetical to everyone who's been interviewed on a news station since from the administration, says that this was a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, incredibly amazing to have that. You know, here this is a strange thing. Incompetence would have served us better. It would yeah. have served the world better, as strange as that says. If it was just someone saying, man, I really don't know, whatever you guys want to do, that would have been so much better in this situation, which is uh, unique. And it's a good lesson, Christopher, to always read your Greek classics because hubris 
brings us all down. Yeah. There you go. Well, a little I, odyssey there. And it could have been that or somebody willing to take a personal hit to do yes, right exactly. by the world. Where, yeah, where which, have all uh, of them gone? Apparently, Obama and Trump were willing to do that, which is, I can't believe that's that's where we're at oh, in this says thing, situation. It? Says it does. It absolutely does. So, so Hunter, maybe I think we've discussed the Biden did the right thing political angle and effectively dismantled it. Maybe we move on to another take. Um, you know, I, I think we've done a pretty good job, Christopher, of the long term, you know, what it, what do we what do we do here? Which I think is, you know, we, we basically have said that, you know, the cost of us being in places like Afghanistan is pretty low. And we need to think more on the long-term side. And I think we've really handled both of those ideas. Is there anything on the long-term sort of side of things that you feel like you want to touch on? No, um, just, just that, especially after you tip the apple cart, uh, there's very little reason not to, not to stay around and see that the hard-won objectives don't, don't continue to be bountiful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think the only other thing that... I'm continuing to feel too in that is there seem to be a lot of freedom loving people around the world that reach out to America and are getting betrayed. And it doesn't seem like there's much hope. You know, we look at Ukraine, we look at Hong Kong. I mean, we, we know, I, I don't know if you cry me a river, not, but, Hunter. Right. This is a crime but you know, t- they're already d- China this week is doing military strategies in front of Taiwan. And the, they had a news outlet that's basically a front for the CCP saying that like, Hey, with America responding this way to Afghanistan, there's probably no way they'd ever respond to something happening in Taiwan, yeah. which is just like, it's basically just saying like, Hey, Taiwan, give up is what it's trying to do. Instead of making it a big deal, it's just like, please go ahead and give up so we can take you over without any bloodshed. Let let me add to that point as well, that Russia, China, India have all, uh, Syria, many of the co-located frenemies uh, (laughs) that we have in the area have moved in, started projects in, made agreements with Afghanistan in the wake of this happening and the Taliban in the wake of this happening uh, because America left an empty space on the board and they are going to feel, fill it. People who don't really care if you throw your women in bags and beat them in the city square like China. People that don't really care if that's what's happening in your land area but they can strengthen you economically while you scratch their back, they'll do it. Russia will do it and they already are. And we're we're less than ten days into this thing, so yeah, yeah. When, and it it is true. To go back to your analogy at the beginning, we we burnt the nuclear launch codes on the world stage. We told everyone that we'll back down. We told everyone that we won't retaliate. Um, and that's a crazy thing. Yeah. So I think the last piece, and I think this touches on the actual tragedy too. Uh, that the Afghani people have experienced um, is the fact that, you know, in that same vein of it seems that, you know, we're letting down our allies. One of the reasons we're doing that is, or I should say we're letting down freedom-loving people, uh, you know, because maybe Hong Kong isn't necessarily what you would call like a traditional ally, but it's a people that definitely, definitely believe in America and believe in freedom and want that for themselves and their children. Um, However you want to call that, you know, is fine by me. Um, 
but I think the other thing that we're beginning to see, Christopher, which is just um, devastating because of that is we're, we're so scared of the political sense because we don't want another Vietnam. We don't want another Saigon. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of impetus for our political betters to avoid those things. Um, and that may be why you see some of that hesitancy, uh, not to mention the American people are just sick and tired of it, uh, although that may change. Um, I think one of the things that we can see from Afghanistan is, you know, something that we talk about this show on a lot is our experts, you know, are much more concerned uh, with themselves and with maintaining their systems of power. And it seems that we just don't ever learn in these situations, in these foreign uh, attacks or these foreign. It's a constant, a constant weakness of both hard and soft bureaucracies. Yes. And we, we don't, we don't know what to do. And we seem to rinse, repeat. We seem to have our leaders lie to us about what's actually going on over there. Uh, We don't get clear messages out of there. And Who's the people that pay at the end of that? You know, who who who's the people that actually pay the cost of that? Um, you know, it's some it's definitely Americans at some level. It's definitely yeah. those people. Um, but we've we've all seen the videos at this point of Afghani's literally clinging to the wheels of um C seventeen American planes. C seventeen, C yep. Thank you. Uh flying off uh we've seen the pictures of people clinging onto them we've seen the bodies falling um i've seen pictures of bodies on roofs i've seen i i've heard of you know a body being found in the landing gear crushed um why why are people doing that and i don't know if you saw this too you've seen the picture where they took the helicopter at saigon and they put it right next to the people climbing up the ladder side by side i mean it's the same thing and why are people doing that? Because the repression, the hatred, the vileness, and the murderousness of the Taliban regime is worth grabbing onto a C-17. Yeah. It's worth it. And, it's and worth running away like that. Hunter, that. That's a super important point because the one other take that I don't think we got into. Sure. But will now is the take that this is simply what happens when America's colonialist, occupationalist wand gets waved over different parts of the map. There's not a much more ignorant thing that you can possibly say. And and people are using this as an opportunity to take pot shots at America. And I, as you have recently heard, am disappointed in our behavior here. I am. Let's be very clear, though. This is not America's fault. This is not America is doing. America is not a bunch of clitorectomizing 8th century cavemen running over the sands and beating women and girls to death Mm. and keeping them from going to school. That's not what happens here. And, and, you know, you guys, people who are using this as an opportunity to attack America, you used to give a damn about things like that. You Mm. used to, in theory. At least you talked about it a lot. But you and as frustrated as i can be with america's response to our allies and our enemies in places like like syria and hong kong and and now in afghanistan go on go on down the list in crimea that does not mean that that blood falls on america's hands or at the feet of the american system 
That is pure ignorance. Here's why people are grabbing on to, to cargo planes and trying to float their way into different locales of the world. It's because evil exists, and the Taliban is an incredibly evil regime. I'm not uh, Islamophobic, and if you call me one, I won't lose any sleep at night. There is a hellish bent to the Muslim extremism in groups like the Taliban. And read the Quran. You read it, read just read it at face value. Read what it says. And there are things that the Taliban does that make them bad Muslims, and there are things that the Taliban does that make them good Muslims. And here here's the point. The the oppression that you see it doesn't come from Islam. It doesn't come from the Quran. It doesn't come from that part of the world. It doesn't come from the climate. It doesn't come from oppression. It doesn't come from colonialism. It doesn't come from America. It doesn't come from occupational forces. Evil begets evil. Evil is with us. It has always been with us. It will always be with us. And that is why people over there are are falling 40,000 feet to their death trying to leave. Is because... Places of the world have been isolated from good, and evil has been allowed to flourish. And, and any, any political or terrorist affiliation that would put a bullet in a little girl's head for the audacity that she wants to read Charlotte's Web, that group is part and parcel to that evil. They've been consumed by it. They didn't d- design it, but they've been inundated with it. And so the only thing... That evil needs to flourish is for good men to do nothing. And so I'm disappointed in America today because good men chose to do nothing. Or possibly worse, they chose to look out for themselves instead of doing the hard, non-expedient thing for the truly impoverished, the truly oppressed. Not people that need help on their rent. Good men did nothing here today. It is not, it is not them upon which the bloodshed falls. It's, it's the murderous bastards in the Taliban and and don't get it twisted because we are not about to throw away the greatest nation that has ever existed. The greatest force for good on planet earth and hold them accountable for the sins of savages. And that's what these people are. So, Maybe long-winded, but I think it's worth saying. I'm disappointed in America today. This is not America's fault. Evil exists. It's real. It exists in places like the Middle East and the Taliban, just like it exists here. Only we've, we've done something about it in our home country. I wish we would do something about it at other places where we had the ability to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's well said, Christopher. I think you've really knocked it out of the park. Um, I think, you know, this is really going to change the way I think about a lot of this stuff because, um, you know, the peace and security that the American presence brought to this region, which is just clearly obvious, uh, with how quickly it was, uh, destroyed once they were gone really, I think speaks to the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, both for American uh, safety and for the peace and prosperity of other peoples, um, you know, and I think it's absolutely true that there are just some truly evil actors in the world. Um, and if we can't agree the Taliban 
it, it isn't one of those. And I don't know where we're, what we're even talking about anymore. Um, so I think this is a, you know, there's, there's a few moments that I remember in my life is like truly, you know, like memorable. Like I remember where I was when like, um, governor Kemp was talking about COVID and we had no idea what that meant and was making a public address. Um, you know, I remember my wedding day and being up there with my wife and things. And I remember my mother crying hysterically when I was a child, when the Pentagon got hit in our old house, you know, this is right up there, man. This is one of the most, and it's, it, it's punctuated by my, by my mother's tears as well. You know, it, it, it's tied to nine 11 as well. And it's, it seems like a 20-year failed promise to her, a 20-year failed promise to everyone that was involved in this project, a 20-year failed promise to the people in Afghanistan. And I think it, I, it, it, it cannot but do anything but live with me past that. And I think it should be a gut check for everybody and whatever your opinions were with what happened because, um, wow, it's devastating. So Devastating stuff anyway. for sure. No, Hunter, thanks for sharing that. I think that's where we leave it. Our hopes and hearts and prayers are with the people of Afghanistan very little that we can do uh, as individuals I, I hope I hope that you take this and learn from it and I hope one of the things that you learn is that it's inappropriate and useless to be so concerned with the short term especially when it comes to selecting the leaders of the free world we have to learn to work together. We have to learn to focus on a bigger picture. We have to prioritize the things that we agree about rather than the constant, incessant disagreement so that we can make strategies that work uh, the world over. And, and mm. the trust in the other side, in the media, etc., is at an all-time low. We have got to get back to our core principles and we have got to start focusing on what makes us excellent and singular and not the minutia horse crap that we constantly bicker about because to, to, yes. to have our politicians focus on the long term, we have to too. Be a responsible citizen and, and pass that for this specific instance, there's not much we can do, but hopefully we can make the climate that creates things like this better for the next time around. And and do right by the people that we've worked alongside and do right by the people that we've affected. Second point. I know that a lot of people, especially in the military, feel a certain way about what's happened. I know a lot of people feel as if it makes sacrifices less meaningful and less important. First of all, I'll say that the, the benefit of personal sacrifice cannot be measured with outcomes. It can be measured by the disposition of those who gave it. And also, if you're feeling a certain way about it, talk to someone. So I think that's all I've got to say. I also want to say, you know, you, you can look at that that way if you want to, to those people. That's absolutely true. Um, it's not a failure on your part. It's a failure on your leadership structure. And it's important to separate those two things out. And also, your sacrifice bought 20 years of peace. That's true. And too. that is something we weren't guaranteed to have. So 
you can be frustrated, you can feel pain, you can be angry, you can be all of those things, absolutely, and you have every right to. But it is important to see what your sacrifice did did bias in this, and I think that's truly worthwhile. And if nothing else, it taught me, and I think a lot of people, what we were buying those twenty years. True. And and I I just want to say that because I think Christopher's point is is clear. You know that that could be a traumatic life ending. Uh, possibility for some people sitting at this moment and in this space especially the people who lost limbs buddies friends and who knows what else over there and people in the twin towers itself um it it was not in vain it absolutely was not there is a benefit that came from that and it's tragic that our leadership acted this incompetently and cost you uh that pain and that discomfort to you to the afghani people to everybody involved in this it's despicable um well that's that Hope you enjoyed That's, it. Yeah. Yeah, not the most entertaining episode, but hopefully this is a, a good start in processing all this for everybody. I know it is for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, share the show with your friends, guys. Email us at carlpulling at gmail.com. Have, most importantly, have these conversations. Yes. Uh, help help the people around you focus on what we should be focused on. It's not appropriate to be uninformed, and it, it's not in, it's not appropriate to not be bold so that's that uh you can find all of our links and references at carlpulling.com and past that i made a promise earlier in the show (laughs) and i'm gonna keep it when hunter gives you a rare itch make sure that you get tested